You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. Hey guys, how are you doing? Very well. I'm uh, I'm still recovering from an epic run on on Magic Online yesterday, where I finally won a tournament for once in my life. So so I'm pretty happy this weekend. Very nice. That is Hopefully, fantastic. A little bit about that later. First, I'll have to say that this is our 100th episode. So in celebration of that, as I mentioned last week, we got ourselves our very first guest. Big thanks to Lucas Esper Bertud, MPL member and Pro Tour Ether Vault winner for coming on this week. How are you, Lucas? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, it's an incredible honor to be your first guest, and congratulations on making it to 100 episodes, and here's for 100 more. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's obviously it's excellent to have you on, Lucas, but I think it's, it's super, uh, super cool that we get the, uh, the Pro Tour last pro tour dublin uh winner on the show couldn't be more appropriate that was that was uh my first pro tour i got to attend not playing obviously just uh just got to to show up and watch but uh so that was really exciting for me i'd I'd been playing competitively for about a year at that point i used to play other games competitively but magic i i I was just about a year into it at that point so it was a really cool event for me to uh to like uh you know see all the top players for the first time and see the setup and stuff so uh yeah it's very cool having you on yeah, thanks. I have a lot of sweet memories from, from Dublin. Uh, I also remember a lot of my first Pro Tour. It was almost 14 years ago, and I still remember everything. And how incredible it was to watch players like Kenji Tsumura at the time. Great tournament, even if you want to just be around and, and watch players and be part of that environment. So I am glad you joined that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was great, uh, great introduction to the world of competitive magic. Uh, I think, yeah, that's, that's very random time. We started recording this as well. I know... Um, our first episode was Amonkhet spoilers, which I guess was quite close to, uh, yeah, to that, that um, you know, to that time in that time in history. As the set right after, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Well, uh, the way we want to kind of run it today is we'll kick it off with a kind of an interview style with Lucas. So we have a few topics to uh, get your opinion on and questions to ask you, and then we'll kind of go into our regular show format where we talk a little bit about the news and do a little bit of a standard check-in and maybe get a tournament report from Kieran, as he mentioned, did win a modern tournament yesterday on MTGO. So uh, let's jump right into it. And yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about Pro Tour Ether Revolt. So Lucas, what was that experience like for you? You said, as you said 14 years ago, uh, you started playing in Pro Tours and then to finally win one. Uh, was there some kind of change in your approach when you won this particular tournament or did you prepare more or even less? Uh, basically, was was there anything different about that particular Pro Tour for you before you won? It's It's been um, a long journey in learning how to learn, basically, learning how to prepare better and expand my range of decks and learning how to be a better limited player. And it's been like 14 years on the Pro Tour, 15 years of the Pro Tour, but gaps between because uh, life got in the way. Uh, but for, for doubling specifically, I, I qualified through a regional Pro Tour qualifier with three other players that also won their RPDQs. And we rented a house in Europe for two weeks and basically played Magic all day. And it was amazing. Together and talk about the games we played. We used... Uh, 
physical cards so we can see uh, what players were using and we could jump in and, and talk about them. So it, it was a, a very, very productive uh, testing process. And I actually never went for a Pro Tour as I did for that one uh, because I for one, at a revolt, I, I became a platinum player and I played a bunch of other Pro Tours, but I also had um, uh, I also have still a, a, a work outside of Magic, so I couldn't take vacations that long anymore. The best preparation I ever had for a tournament. And I, I think, you know, it's important to have a team with you. Ideas off, it doesn't need to be a professional team. Just having players that are willing to learn together with you, it's, it's always been a big help for me. And, and I always try to practice with other people. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I was, I was going to ask this uh, sort of compare comparing like the Aether Revolt days, obviously it's only a couple of years ago in the grand scheme of things for Magic, but it seems like things have changed a lot now in terms of preparation and how people approach teams and information gathering since then with the release of Arena and a lot more really good content being available for free. People are willing to put much more of their, their testing and preparation online, which which you've been a big part of, Bertu, with your excellent posts on uh, on or spikes and everything like that you're you're one of the best sort of article posters in, in my opinion oh, thank around. You. <laughs> yeah no it's, it's always a joy reading your stuff do you think now that maybe the advantage that uh, a lot of top players from the era of a couple of years ago do you think that advantage has diminished now because people are are more willing to to share a lot more information and more people have access to discussions with top players through you know patreons and discords and things like that do you think do you think that's changed changed the balance a little bit for the average player yeah i think so there there are different incentives these days for content producers so uh, Magic has always been a, a, a very good place for sharing information, and people have always been open about the decks they play and sideboard guides and all of that. But what happened before is that tour or another big tournament, and right until that moment, people would keep uh, their tech by the to themselves and try to protect information. And you have the the pro team houses, and people were of what they learned right into the tournament. And after the tournament, everybody would write, write their tournament reports. And that's basically what, what I always did too. So uh, if, if you wanted to learn how to play a deck for your PDQ or your Grand Prix after a Pro Tour, you would have a lot of information. But if you wanted a deck for that Pro Tour, you would be on your own. I think um, because of the changes in organized play and uh, the, the structures of those tournaments where for your popularity is sometimes more important than having tournament results or just being a skilled player, people are very, very willing to share their content so they can make a name for themselves. And it's weird. I think nobody has fully adapted to, to what that means. Uh, so before a pro tour now, you can just watch a top player stream and they, they're playing a deck that they were seriously considering running for that pro tour. Or they're drafting an archetype and they're talking about their pick order. So transparency right now, all the time. And and it does help a lot uh, the, the newer players or trying to learn magic a lot more. Uh, just being able to have a player like Martin Musa stacks and talking about his lines of plays and, and you watch it live and you can put yourself on his shoes and try to think, hey, would I make that play myself or would I not? And you can pause the videos and do all of that. It's, it's like golden age of, of free information right now. I don't know. I think it's good for newer players, but I think professional players, uh, maybe they're sharing too much. Uh, maybe if they cared more about the results than their Twitch viewers, they would not share so much. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that's funny. I think you can um, you can see the difference in approach between some. I'm not going to name any any streamers here, but there's certainly some, say, MPL contracted streamers who you can tell they want to provide an you know an entertaining stream and everything, but they're not they're not um, you know playing their their serious testing decks. And then you have guys. You know, like uh, as you said, who who just put it all out on the line? Martin Yuza, Ben Stark comes comes to mind for me as an example. Who just is is just giving out you know all all his thoughts and, and best information constantly. And it, it is quite it is quite funny that, that you see, you do see a difference in approach there. But I agree overall, there has been a big big shift into just much much more information just available for the average player. And it's interesting. I wonder how much that has influenced. How fast, for example, standard is kind of quote unquote getting solved because you see that the last couple of releases, I think this standard has has been an especially huge example of that. Where before the set is even released in paper, people are talking about the the meta game as if as if you know everybody's cracked it, you know, and it's just after <laughs> you know less than a week of of arena play, it's just completely different to how things were even a couple of years ago. It's definitely sped up. Um, now there's uh, shifting maybe days or or hours. That can totally uh, change the landscape of a meta game. Uh, before the the last Mythic uh, tournament in Arena was Mythic Championship Three, I believe uh, there was a deadline at Saturday noon or something like that to send the decks. 9 a.m. Someone was playing a Bant Ramp deck on stream that was beating everything. So there was like a shifting three to four hours in the public eye because it was being streamed, and the deadline to send the deck list, and that completely changed the meta game. So not only were people considering playing that bad ramp thing, people were already trying to, to level it, which is what I did. I was playing Asper Control with uh, a bunch of ref effects because it was good against that deck. And you're just making a gamble. Then us watching this stream right now, is people that, are people that fast to, to copy and adapt? And uh, I gambled they were, and it was the, the right metagame call. Too crazy right now on how fast information is being shared. But uh, another aspect of it is that there's so much content and not all of it is good, to be fair. Uh, uh, I think people just want to get their names and, and be popular. And sometimes there's the approach of quantity over quality of content. And if you're like a, a very new player and you don't know who the good players are and you're watching a stream and, and there's a guy with 1,500 viewers streaming, you might think that player is very good and he's giving solid advice and that's not always the case. And even in the large websites, you have, you know, some content that it's clearly rushed the deadline and they're not giving reliable information. So there's a lot of noise and it's very hard to, to separate what's good and what's bad for all that content. Yeah, I agree with this. I've actually seen some discussions recently on, on discords about, you know, people, people even, uh, even publicly calling out content producers for their, for, you know, trying to get, get more clout maybe than they, they should for this content. And they're really, really pushing and selling their deck lists. They're saying, you know, this is absolutely busted. This is the deck everyone has to play this weekend. And other people calling them out and saying, come on, you only have a couple, couple days of information on this. You know, this isn't true. You know, you're just looking to get, get the retweets and get the, the article out there. So I think it's, everyone's very aware of this now, you know, too. So it's, it it is a matter of of as a as a newer fresher player as you say not getting caught by that and still I mean you should still if especially if you want to get better as a magic player right you should be trying to uh, to take this information from good players but you should really be trying to develop your own opinions and and understand the important things in the game you know what what you think they are and, and what you think makes a good deck you can't always go off you know the the article or the latest uh, latest viral tweet or whatever. 
absolutely. Being able to process information is going to be one of the major skills um, in Magic the Gathering for, for the next years, I think. Sort of like the internet, right? Uh, everything is out there, the good information and the bad, and it's up to you to, to figure out who's telling the truth. One of my, my missions or you know, one of my goals as a, a content producer or magic personality, I hate that, that term, but whatever, to, to link and give shout outs to who I think are, are good content producers. So for instance, uh, a player, Mike Sigrist, is one of the absolute best limited players in the world. Excellent, excellent articles. And it's the information he gives is always reliable. I, I never had a bad advice from Mike Sigrist. And, and at the same website he used to write, there, there were guys that were writing three, four times more articles than he did, and none of them were good. <laughs> so I, I want to help the fresher players to to know who is who and who can who they can trust and who they can't. Yeah, Mike in particular, when I when I look at some of the like streamer numbers, uh, like on the daily on Twitch, and if Mike is streaming, pretty much like Mike and Ben S. I mean, that's the top tier of limited streaming that you can watch, and Mike just always has like much lower numbers than some of the other top people who are there. And I'm just like, are people crazy? Are they, should they not be watching Mike all the time? <laughs> yeah, I think it comes down to what Lucas said. It's it's about, um, you know, the, the entertainment value of the stream that people are trying to push is maybe not necessarily the same as the the gameplay value, you know, as uh, that you're getting. So obviously people, you know, and if people want numbers as well, that is a factor they have to consider. And and obviously, you know, if you want to make a living off it, you, ha- you have to be entertaining. But yeah, it's it's... I think that's, yeah, Siggy is definitely someone to, to call out as, as making absolutely top quality content. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, has the Twitch streaming, has, has that been a factor for you, Lucas? Have you have you dived into that? I, I know I have seen you streaming a couple of times, but I don't know if it's if it's on the regular for you or if it's something that's a big part or if you've taken the streaming contract as part of the MPL. Because I know, as you said, you, you have your own uh, kind of <laughs> quote-unquote normal job outside of Magic. Yeah, I... I... Tried tried streaming. I, I took the contract, but I'm behind on my obligations there. Uh, I, I tried to be the the more entertaining, talkative streamer, but I, I realized it was not not for me. People that are able to you know talk for eight hours and be be happy all the time and be entertaining because I, I cannot do that. I, I'm usually the times I'm streaming, I, it's usually I'm already a little bit tired. So what I try to do is I, I stream sometimes without a microphone and I try to focus more on the gameplay. Then on, on talking. So if you go and, and watch me try my best playing the games, they can do that. But I, I probably won't be cracking jokes or anything like that. <laughs> it's, it's just not to me. I, I think the content I produce best is, is, is writing. So I want to focus more on that than on streaming. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand how how draining it is when you're streaming to, to constantly try to be engaged with your chat and be entertaining and make jokes and everything. Even if you're watching one of the best players in the world at that point, you know, they're, they're only going to be playing, you know, at, at whatever percentage you want to give 75% of their best, 70% of their best. If they, if they have to like constantly be looking at this other monitor and talking to people and, you know, they're going to miss things in the game. So it's, it, it is very difficult. And even, and even to keep, keep that level up is very difficult, I think. Uh, for sure. And I, I used to watch uh, streams from, our, from StarCraft players uh, some, some number of years ago, and they would basically never talk. It was just gameplay and, and whatever music they like. So for me, that's the standard for streaming, and that's what I'm doing. But to viewers or people that used to watch Magic Stream, they they expect more interaction with chat, more more entertainment, and things like that. So there's a lot of people doing that. I don't think I need to be. I just want to focus on my streams. Yeah, certainly there are a bunch of niches to fill to fill there for for streams, and uh, 
people will always be able to find whatever one kind of takes their fancy, whatever suits them. So ju- just to go back to your to your writing content, uh, when was the first post that you, like long form tournament report style post that you made on Spikes? Was it, was it after Pro Tour Ether Revolt? And then how, how did that evolve and, and what was kind of the impetus behind you you doing that? Like why why did you feel a need to do your tournament report in that way? I, I, I guess from what you mentioned earlier, it had been something that you were already doing. I used to write a lot uh, for, for Portuguese websites 20 years or so. So that's something I, I always in, enjoyed doing. And the reason for that is that when I started playing Magic in 96, 97, reports were the main way for you to gather information. So I remember uh, reading Randy Bueller 1997 Pro Tour Chicago tournament report, and I thought that was just the coolest thing in the whole universe. You learn about the great players by by seeing how they write and understanding how they think about the game that way. So that's sort of the, the culture in my upbringing as a Magic player. So I want to keep that going. The first time I, I wrote for, for Spikes or, or I wrote in English overall was before my tournament win, my, my Pro Tour win, was actually uh, for a couple of PDQs that I had won. I had a, had a good response there, so I kept just writing for, for the same forum. Like It's not because... It's not because I, that I want a pro tour that uh, I want to change that. I, community are people that are very committed to trying to get better. And I can definitely identify with that. And I think that by writing there, maybe I can inspire others to write more themselves and just have good content out there. I, I don't want the major websites to have a sort of monopoly in content. I think it, at the time it was very important to have uh, a good platform for just community members that are trying their best and they're learning things and that to, to have a, a way to have their voices heard. And things there is that, I don't know, you have a player like, which is absolutely one of the best writers in the game, and he's writing for Star City Games right now, and he writes a masterpiece of an article. Then you check the comments and there are two, three comments, right? But if you write on, on Spikes, you write a tournament report, there are like 100 comments there. People are just to talk in that environment. So I kept favoring because of that reason. It's just a very, very good way to, to interact with the community in that way. I definitely agree with that. I think uh, I think Or Spikes in particular is is a very interesting forum. As as someone that's I've been on the internet a while, and you know I've been on all, all sorts of forums for all sorts of games. Uh, I do agree. Like it's a great community, and and people are really invested in getting better. I think it's had a really interesting evolution over the last couple of years. As I, I think I think with you know Magic getting bigger and the move to Arena, there was kind of there was a there was a shaky period for Or Spikes where there was a lot of, you know, gatekeeping. There was a lot of low quality content getting posted because of new people coming in from Arena. And uh, But there was also a lot of gatekeeping where it became very hard to actually post new content on there because of that. There was kind of a back and forth event, uh, effect. And I think it's gotten better now. I think the, the forum has found its feet again in terms of, you know, like what type of content people should be posting. You know, uh, you know even if they just have Arena ranked data or whatever, you know, people are still now committed to to making high quality posts about that and and making sure that they have good insights in their posts so i found i found that to be very interesting over the last couple of years seeing it go from a very data focused you know magic online or, or gp results or whatever was basically the bar for posting on there to now it's a little a, li- a little bit more theory crafting is okay and a little bit lower level of gameplay as long as you still try your best to be insightful and to and to have the same philosophy so i, I found that very interesting Okay, well, uh, shifting focus a little bit, uh, Lucas, can you talk a little bit about the MPL currently? 
So how are you feeling about the structure of the MPL and, and how it's changing next year? Uh, and and also, I guess, competitive magic more broadly. I know this is something that you were pretty outspoken about when the uh, the most recent changes came through. I think a lot of people saw them as very positive. Um, I think myself included and, and, and us on this podcast in general, we saw them as positive changes or that they seemed that way on their face. But I think you were you were one of the people who are out there saying, well, you know, maybe there are some positives, but there are also big negatives here uh, or drawbacks or whatever. So if you could briefly touch on that and the MPL, they're, they're kind of two, two halves of the same coin, right? They're uh, both, uh, both were touched on in that, in that announcement. Yeah, it's a topic that is uh, very important to me. I don't know if you guys know about uh, Chris Picula. He's always in the discussion for, for the Hall of Fame. And one of his main contributions to Magic uh, was described uh, as a battle for the soul of competitive Magic or a battle for the soul of the Pro Tour, pushing very hard against uh, tournament organizers' uh, leniency to, to uh, cheating and cheaters in general. I don't think it was that big of a deal that people were maybe stacking their decks or marking their sleeves. They just didn't care about it. And Chris Picula, they ma- he made them care. So that was you know, for, for the soul of competitive magic. And, and I think we are at a similar spot right now that our generation of players fighting is to have uh, open and fair paths to qualification. Uh, I think the, we're greatly hurt uh, when a player's marketability is more important than another player's skill and results, paths to MPL and, and rivals and Mythic Championship. So what I'm, what I'm pushing for is that I want every player to be able to play and compete to matter, and I want results to matter. And I don't want competitive magic just to be used as a way to find props to, to market the game. It has to be more than that. It cannot just be advertisement about Twitch viewers. It has to be about players trying to best and players trying to win. In criticism of the current structure is that there are too many um, discretionary invites, ways for players from smaller communities around the globe to compete, to find a, a clear path to, to the premier tournaments. There's not enough ways for players that are great at Magic and have consistent results nationally qualified. I think that what they announced very recently with the, the regional players tours and the player tours finals and the structure for rivals and all of that, I mean, it's better than not having it's better than having nothing, which is what we had announced for six months, worse and more unfair than what we had a couple of years ago when we had uh, Grand Prix being important and having coverage for them, PDQs and RPDQs that were easily accessible. When we had the World Magic Cup and the ecosystem around it and nationals and WMCQs. And I think we lost them so we could have players uh, being discretionarily invited because they're graphic, because they're marketable to, to arena tournaments that are, are paying an absurd amount of money in prize money. And I, and I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's a good direction the game can go. For is we have less marketing and, and more skill matters in the grand scheme. So going down on, on some more specifics, Piao, um, and, and I think it, could, it, it was a really good concept when it was explained to me the first time. But the, the execution was uh, a failure. It was a disappointment. When it started, it was the top 32 ranked players in the world at the end of the season. And they would usually be platinum or gold. But now they are MPL, which means they get a little extra money, which is great. 
and there would be a higher focus on on marketing them and showing their personalities, which I think is also great. They would play uh, tournaments on Arena to to help uh, to players to showcase it as a good platform to play Magic. It's also something I believe strongly about. It, it can be a very good platform. So when Arena started as that, I thought it was amazing, and I was very excited to be a part of it. Things changed. So to be part of the next uh, MPL, the next class of MPL, it's no longer about being the top 32 ranked players in that season. There's just weird structure. You have to go through rivals first, and some just some number of players fall down. And there's some a lot of um, inequalities in there. In that you can, one of the things I tweeted about: if you win every game of Magic you play between 2019 and 2020, you win every tournament, match, you win everything. You're the undisputed best player in the world, you will not be in the MPL for the next year. You have to go through that rivals first. It's a little bit of a mess to, to be qualified to there. There's not uh, enough ways for a player that has consistently good results to go there. They basically have to finish first or second at the year. Otherwise, they're out. And at the same time, there's a large number of slots for players that Wizards is going to handpick to put there. And I'm kind of willing to bet, take, you know, streamers because they think that's good advertisement from the demographics that I want to put there. And it would not be about skills and results. So if we just had the same structure up with the pro points club, beat for them playing Grand Prix and, and pro tours and just had the top X ranked players become the MPL, I, I think it would be great. But with all things they did in execution, I think it's going to be widely unfair. And someone that starts playing magic in, even if he's very good, he may never get to the MPL just because of the way things are designed. Yeah, that's a very fair point, uh, or a lot of a lot of fair points. And yeah, it does seem that Magic is moving towards, or or rather, away from purely merit based. There is a lot of real estate real estate there to be grabbed by, as you say, someone who didn't really get in on a skills qualification. But do you think that there might still be positives about the system? Like as you said. It's, you know, it seems like Wizards is doing it to be, to increase representation. And like, I don't think that anybody massively had a problem with someone like Autumn Burchett being added to the MPL. However, then when Wizards turns around and, and doesn't add other people, like, for example, Eli Loveman, or they do add Savage, who, you know, has never been to a, a paper Mythic Championship, uh, that kind of creates some, some bad feelings. There are positives, but there's also the opportunity cost of the things you're doing. So, for instance, there's the, which are extremely hard, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for the players that qualified through there. And those, it's it's a great thing that those things do exist, and they will still exist next year. Could be, you know, double their size or triple their size. Because every time you're having a discretionary invite, I think you're you're eating away a slot that could be used for every other player on the planet to compete for. And qualifiers, which is a format that, that I really, really like. And when they talk about opening representation, I think it's a different conversation. I think it's a fair one. Like if they want to hold, uh, for instance, it's the difference between the invites to Savitz, to the MPL, and, and Jessica Stefan, right? Top-ranked woman player, and they thought it was important to to have representation for women. And, and I think that's a, it's a, you know, it's a good thing. I, I don't mind that at all. I, I think that's a, a worthwhile and, and a noble goal of it is that uh, of the invites have nothing to do with representation. So Vitz certainly have nothing to do with that. And if you look at the, the list of discretionary invited for nation and the last two mythic championships, you see 
you know, a lot of the names there clearly have nothing to do with opening representation for, for groups of players that have been traditionally underrepresented. So I, I think it's a little bit of confusion. They, they throw in the mix the things that I want, and that is to, to invite streamers to get more Twitch viewers. Yeah, I never want to, I never want Magic to get to a place where I feel like, you know, I'm more of a spectator than a competitor in uh in 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 tournaments you know what i mean that like when i used to play street fighter competitively i used to love the fact that i could travel to any tournament you know like a a grand prix equivalent or whatever and round one i could sit down against one of the best players in the world and i'd probably get my ass kicked but but it was an amazing experience to be able to do that and then i looked at other games uh like hearthstone or, or dota or whatever other games i was interested in and there was no path to be able to do that. It was very much a spectator sport. You were basically never going to play against the top players in the world, even if you were a decent competitive player yourself. There was no path. So I loved when I started playing Magic that there was this clear path to compete and, you know, Grand Prix and PPTQs going to or PTQs, as you said, that there was there was this idea that, you know, if you play well, there, there you, you could get there. And I do feel like we are... We were moving away from that, at least with the original uh, formation of, of the MPL. I, I do think, as you said, there are some some steps back in the right direction, but I would like to see more of that because I think it is really important um, yeah, to provide people a path where where you're saying, hey, if you're good and, and you have merit, you know, you can get there. You can get these rewards and, and there will be a payoff. If you look at tabletop, it's 25 years of history that was built on open and fair competition. And it was one of the most uh, positive aspects of Magic and what differentiates it to, to other card games in the market. It was thrown away this year by, by current man- management of organized play. And I think it's a shame to consider. And that's why I'm, I'm pushing so hard. Uh, I know it would be the, the smart play for me to stay quiet and smile a lot and ask some things like that. But I, I think it would be bad for the long run of games. So which why I'm pushing it so hard. And, and I know other players would do it too, but their livelihood depends on getting a salary from from users because there's only so many criticism they they can give, you know. Yeah, that's that's very fair. Um, is that something that you've received pushback on from from management or or whoever is kind of in charge of the of the MPL program at Wizards? Is that something that they've said to you or anything like that, or has it has it just been no communication on that front? Like we know that. For example, Jerry, uh, Jerry T resigned the MPL because of the the lack of information. Basically, this is before the big announcement, and I I don't think they really communicated with him all that much. Uh, so I would assume this it's the same with you. Yeah, I think communication you know has been shaky. Uh, to, to be fair, uh, they have never told me not to say something or anything like that. They they respect uh, the players' opinions and and their ability to to talk to their communities and be sincere. There's no formal pushback or anything like that, but I also don't think they care that much about what players have to say. And I can really understand Jerry's frustration with that. It has been at times a, a difficult relationship because of that. Sure, that that is, I guess, something in their favor that they're they're not actively trying to um, to quash opinions or or make their MPL members be something that they don't really want to be or something that they don't feel. Uh, is, is there any kind of like I don't know if you still if you go to like F and M's and things uh, where you are in Brazil, uh, but are you in touch with the Brazilian community and how they feel about changes to competitive play and like not not just the current system that's that's coming now, but all the changes that have happened over the years? Because 
us from the Irish community, we really kind of felt the ravages of the system. There was about there, there was quite a while there where there was like the last last few last half a year, I guess, or more. There's been no events in Ireland basically, and everybody if they oh. want to play, they have to go to England, which like it's not that far away from Ireland. It's it's a fairly short flight, um, but it's still very disheartening that you can't you can no longer get on that first path first step to the to the path to the pro tour in your home country anymore you actually have to go to a different country so does the brazilian community feel similar in that way i think people here they're mostly confused for native english speakers to to understand the announcement and, and all those graphs imagine people that don't have english as their first language so nobody really understands what's going on uh, the people that do, they express their, their disappointment. They think it's going to be harder to keep playing Magic. The saving graces of our community is that we have uh, Willie Edo as a tournament organizer. And he does put a lot of effort in creating uh, an independent circuit so people can play. And he communicates a lot. And he does do his very best to engage. So there's that. But I don't think nobody really understands First qualification actually works, or what Grand Prix are going to mean moving forward. Um, I think it's going to take some time for for it to settle down. Played that much FNMs in the last couple of years uh, since I became a, a pro because I to, to prepare and, and travel a lot. But I do keep in touch with people, and it's been very confusing for them. We had at least the the World Magic Cup and World Magic Cup qualifiers since they were such a, an important part for for our ecosystem us would even care about the other aspects as long as we still had that so i i, I think the community missed the most in, in the new structure yeah it, it is a pretty big shame to have that taken away from because it, it was nice to have a thing that your your country could say hey this is the biggest tournament in our country here's the national champion and uh it was just a special thing to happen yeah i think the irish community feels the same and even just in terms of smaller events, PPTQs and things like that, that was the main way that that you know people would travel around the country and support the different local game stores. So with those events being gone, I feel like it must be it must be tough on those stores in in smaller towns because they don't have you know a big group of players from from the big cities traveling for the weekend to to go go to go to the PPTQ or whatever. So I feel like those it's that that's another danger here is is those local community stores being left behind by these lack of events too that's that's something i worry about yeah and we've seen here over the last you know over the last year or so without these PPTQs, each of these smaller communities have just become just more and more siloed uh, like there used to be a lot of there used to be a lot of integration a lot of moving around you know, a lot of uh, meeting other people meeting other groups uh while these PTQs are going on but now it's like you know, as someone who used to travel to all of these there's a bunch of people that i just haven't seen in over a year because yeah there's, I, I have no reason to go to kenny i have no reason to go to, to galway uh to, to play magic Oh, I remember traveling every weekend to play at PPDQ at a different store. And I think it was a good time for Magic. I, I really don't understand why they didn't want... It worked well for... Maybe not in the US, maybe not all over the world. But uh, I think in smaller communities, I think it, it was a good format. Yeah, it suited Ireland very well, definitely. Yeah. I wonder if there could be some system in the future that changes the qualification format based on region or based on country. I don't know. Probably not. That might introduce things where it's like unfairness or it's easier to qualify in such and such a region and maybe people travel there because of that. So maybe that's too much of a can of worms to open. I think one of the upsides of the new tabletop structure or is that they were going to have more flexibility. 
So maybe in the future, they, they could adapt more to what Ireland needs, to what Brazil needs, and, and things like that. It hasn't happened so far, but I think there's, there's still room for that. It's, it's actually one of the aspects I'm more hopeful about. Okay, that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, the, the WPNQ is being able to have several different formats. Like, we have some coming up soon, I think, in Ireland. I'm not sure what the format is in Ireland, but even the, some of the ones that are in England, they consist of, like, several flights, and then the top eight of each flight gets into the actual, quote-unquote, PTQ. So that's an interesting different format that you can that you can do, and it allows people to, stores, to try around new things to see what suits their players. Yeah, but, but look on, on how the details matter. I think the, the format you described would be a very good one, right? Uh, you, you play the flights, and if you top eight, you, you're qualified for the PDQ. I think that's a good format. But I've seen stores that make something that I would consider a bad format. Five different flights, and only the players that have a certain amount of points over those five flights combined, an eight-person PDQ, which means that you actually have to play all five weekends, and at other events that maybe you would like to play during that time span. And I think it's used as a way so they can favor their hardcore local players and basically use it as a way to subsidize the store. That one is actually restricts competition instead of opening up players. So the details are going to matter. And and as I said, I'm hopeful, Matt, but at the same time, I'm not seeing there. Wow, that that sounds... uh really bad that that sounds very predatory kind of business practice there and yeah I, I do hope that wizards can try to avoid that tournament system if at all possible yeah i think one of the things that would help is if they actually had magic players used to playing tournaments to to approve those those programs or or have a voice or, or a hand in, in designing them i think currently that the players that are store owners which are going to have an incentive to make those predatory formats, former judges or players that have uh, administrative positions at Wizards of the Coast. And they're, they're not really used to thinking about in tournament formats and what's fair and what isn't fair. So they could they need to have people having a say in those. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Maybe some kind of player committee or something. I know that they, they, they tried to do something like that with the, uh, the pro player consultants. Uh, but I kind of haven't really heard a lot about that program in a long time, so I don't know where it where it's at. Oh, it uh, it ended up de- being discontinued. Uh, it was uh, uh, an initiative by at Organized Play. So when management changed, they didn't want that anymore. So that no longer exists. But uh, I think it could help a lot. Hmm. That's a shame that it doesn't exist anymore. Okay, well, that seems like a pretty good chat on Organized Play. Uh, there's probably one more discussion point that I think, Kieran, you, you're the one who really kind of wanted to bring this up. I, I thought it was interesting as well, but uh, maybe, Kieran, if you want to talk a little bit on the uh, the Hearthstone situation and, and censorship. Yeah, so I just thought I just thought this since this is so current and and there is such a clear analog to Magic from Hearthstone, uh, it, it would be interesting to get your opinion on this. So for anyone who doesn't know, recently a Hong Kong Hearthstone pro uh used their voice on live coverage um to basically uh they they said the the slogan that is currently for the for the protests in hong kong against the extradition law and against the the censorship and uh, you know there's been a lot of uh a lot of kind of police violence against protesters there it's a it's a very hot topic current conversation i'm sure most of our listeners know know about it it's it's been all over the news but blizzard um basically took their prize money away, banned them from competing for a year, 
fire the two casters that were involved in the situation on the stream. They've now gone back and I believe they've rescinded it to a six-month ban rather than a year ban and stated that the player, Blitzchung, will get their prize money from the event. But overall, it's just left a really bad taste in the entire gaming community's mouth, I think. A lot of people are, are starting to boycott Blizzard products in response. I, I personally know quite a few friends who were playing, you know, WoW Classic or whatever and, and have uh, cancelled their subscriptions because of it. And there's just the general feeling that, you know, uh, like, obviously games aren't inherently a political sphere, right? But in terms, but people should still be able to use their voices, I feel like, um, you know, you know, if they if they have these positions where they can speak out to people, um, it should be okay for them to use it. And it just seemed like in this situation, Blizzard was very much kowtowing to the Chinese government. And because they're, they do so much business in China, they, they were basically, uh, they were basically allowing that to dictate what happened to their professional player and their, their representation there so it just makes me think in terms of you know magic like you know hasbro is a very could be in a very similar situation sometime soon there are there are obviously magic pro players who are who are outspoken particularly on this issue uh li shi tan for the last couple of years has been outspoken about about the issues in hong kong and uh, even going so far as he named uh one of his previous pro tour decks to, to be Umbrella Revolution, which was the, the term at the time, which I believe Wizards uh, w wouldn't use officially that name on coverage. So uh, so that was kind of, but I mean, that's kind of a small sort of a response to it. It's nothing like what what Blizzard did in this situation. So I just, I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that situation or how you think it could apply to Magic. Do you think, you know, Wizards of the Coast or Hasbro would be likely to to do something similar to rebuke a player like that or do you think that players have more freedom in the pro magic community to let their opinions be known oh that yeah that that's a good point um i think people at wizards of the coast they they have good strong values uh, it, it's a company it, it's pro uh, free speech so i don't think themselves would oppose anything like that uh Chen has been talking about his concerns with hong kong Oh, and he's very outspoken about it on, on Twitter. And as far as I know, he never had any sort of backlash from, from Wizards. I think about Wizards being owned by a multi-billion dollar worldwide corporation in Hasbro. Well, who knows what's going to happen, right? Maybe some, some higher up will think differently. But I think if there's more attention to the backlash that Blizzard received and NBA received and, and Disney with Winnie the Pooh received, uh, I, I think they players in that regard but i i really don't know what could happen um history for me and <laughs> i and i hope alicia chan ends up okay in all of that he's someone i i care deeply about and i think he's fighting the good fight and if he has something to say i hope his voice is heard yep definitely i totally agree awesome all right well i think that'll kind of conclude the interview portion of the podcast here and uh let's talk about some standard what what let us talk <laughs> what has everybody been playing? So, so I've been for, for the last few weeks. I've just been playing just like well, all the different Golos variations. Um, I'm going to GP Leon, and I want to. This is my initial intention was just to be really familiar with the mirror match. I kind of know know the inside out, that, uh, inside out. Uh, but now I've started kind of. I, I started looking at decks that you know, should be Golos. Um, I was playing a little bit of the Green White Adventures kind of white weenie deck. Uh, I, I I was okay with that. I I wasn't too mad about it. But um, now I'm having having a lot of success now with uh rule with the uh, Ember Cleaver. Uh, no one sees the Ember Cleaver coming, uh, especially when it's on a Questing Beast. Uh, Trample and Death Touch are still 
still great mates. Trample and death touch and double strike. Oh yes, yes. Even even when that doesn't when that's not enough, you just hit them again. <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of wins just out of nowhere that people there. Uh, Goes deep behind the board. People like, oh yeah, that four in. Then you go boom. It's it's now ten. Yeah, I tried Gruel for a while too. I didn't feel like I was consistently doing well against the Golos decks with it. So I pretty much started going like, oh, if you can't if you can't beat them, join them. So I was playing. I've played the different variations. The wild kind of uh, you know fires variation with Kenrith and and the more traditional Bant version, which I think I like a little bit more. Um, eventually, I just got sick of the mirror matches. All I was doing was grinding grinding the ladder on arena. I didn't really have any reason to be to be playing a lot of standard. Um, so recently I've kind of taken a bit of a blind trust in Canister, um, who registered uh, Black Green Adventures for the for the upcoming MC, and he's very confident that it, it beats Golos. So that's that's what I've been playing the last couple of days. I think it's been fine. I'm not really I still don't really understand how I'm supposed to be winning this matchup, like particularly well. Like I'm I feel like it's fine, but but not amazing. But uh, that's what I'm going to register for the Moto PTQ later today. Anyway, I'm just going to have some faith in uh, in Canister, the Mad Genius. Yeah, I I have to say I, I that I really don't get how Black Green Adventures is is beating Golos with any consistency. Like I know I know it is. It's a lot more of a grindy deck than it kind of looks like on its face. Like you draw so many cards with Edgewall Innkeeper, and especially against Golos, who base you know Golos basically has no removal. So if you play an Edgewell Innkeeper turn one, you know you're getting your value out of it. Um, and then obviously Questing Beast can attack past the zombies, so that's pretty great. But I just feel like most of the other beaters in the deck are not getting in that well. I guess if you have a, an Order of Midnight heavy, heavy version, then Golos is weak to Flyers. So is is that what Canister's running? or? Uh, no, I think he just has two Order of Midnight, which which seems like the right number to me, to be honest. Um my main problem was like it's just like it's not fast enough to to beat like a time wipe and then after you get time wiped even if you have a bunch of cards in hand it's tough to really get back on the board in a big way before you just get outmassed by the zombies um so maybe i'm not maybe it's that aspect of the game is something i'm i'm not really understanding yet and i should be holding certain cards you know to to to, to try and beat the time wipe but i at the moment i still just don't see it it hasn't hasn't fully clicked for me yet uh, Canister on his Discord earlier was uh, made the claim that Golos can't beat a resolved Vivian Arcbow Ranger, which I'm still trying to puzzle out. I'm like, is that true? It seems like they definitely can beat that to me, but I don't know. I'm going to keep practicing anyway, see if I can crack the uh, crack the code. Okay, I'm gonna. Oh, I, I played that matchup a little bit. Yeah. So what do you think, Lucas? Right, so I managed to get Green Black to become slightly unfavored against Golos, which is actually a decent position because I think Green Black is a strong deck against the rest of the field. Uh, basically, what, what Green Black is trying to do, it's uh, it has a two-stage plan. One is try to get in whatever damage you can get with uh, Lovestuck Beast and your mediocre creatures. When you have both Innkeeper and the Lovestuck Beast, it's a lot of damage through, and you're, you actually have a decent hand left after the first ref of got effect for for stage two and stage two is you attacking them with different and weird angles Touching beasts that they cannot block that's that's the prinko master that's also hard for goals to block and do additional damage and i think vivian is another card in that regard so i i didn't play exactly with the version that canister uh submitted for for the mythic championship but i played with similar numbers so I think he has eight eight copies between Questing Beast and Master and, and Vivian, and they just had four Questing Beast and, and four Duke Master. 
And I think it's a decent plan, but what changed my mind uh, and made me think that Green Black was maybe not a good deck after all, is that when you have open deck lists and the Golos player knows exactly what are those weird threats and what the numbers that Green Black deck have, they can per sideboard perfectly and bring in the right amount of and maybe either Gust or Default Decree. And once they know exactly what they're doing, they end up being favored in the sideboard game. Uh, but, but Green Black was well, like one of the felt the closest against Golos. And basically the other two decks that claim they have a favorable favorable matchup, uh, it's Cruel and Monored. And, and and I think a large number of players are going to submit those decks based just on that factor that they beat Golos, but I don't think they are good against anything else. Yeah, I think that's especially true about Monored. I, th I think Gruel, you can maybe make a make a more reasonable case for against the field, but but I agree with you that uh that it's it's certainly not doing well against everything. But mono red, I think you're you're just going too all in on trying to beat Golos there, because because really like even if Golos is the best deck, what what percentage are we talking about? Maybe maybe twenty three, twenty five percent or something. Day one. Uh, I think it could be higher than that. I think we could be looking at a forty percent Golos day one. Wow, forty percent. Okay, that's where I'm gonna hang my hat. I actually have similar expectations. And if you combine both versions of Golos, that is the traditional band version and the version that has more red for Fires of Invention, I think it could break 40%. I think it could be over half the field, actually. With Asper at the last Mythic Championship, if you combine both Asper Control and Asper Hero, I think people, um, they, they, they're risk-averse at those events. They just want to play the clear best deck when it's possible, since a large number, since a large percent of the field is just pro players. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I could see that for sure. Yeah, that's that's yeah, what I think you're doing. If if I was going, so that's what I'm basing my thoughts off of. Yeah, and also in, in the context of this surprise announcement of a, of another ban uh, update, was it next week? Could we go after? It's almost like it's possible that, that this was a response to uh, the deck list being submitted. That uh, maybe there is an absurdly large number of photos. Yeah, very true. I, I, I we'll come back to that. A little bit later, the the BNR. But uh, just to go back to Lucas, your point about uh, Rankle, I think that actually is a very good card for for that particular matchup against Golos because watching Canisters, uh, Eldrain split matches. I think last week it was he he won or he came second or something like that. And pretty much all his clutch victories were like Rankle off the top. Yeah, he, he he won, and he actually beat me along the way. So <laughs> that that's how I got interested in that in the first place, just getting beaten by it, right? And Rankle actually has some subtle synergies with other cards in the deck. So, for instance, if you have a, a Love Stuck piece into play, the finality half of Find Finality, you you put two counters on on Rankle piece, and you attack with it, and you make each player sacrifice their creatures, so they sacrifice their Golos while you sacrifice your Love Stuck piece. Then you're you're left with a five five flyer against an empty board. Came up a lot. Uh, it, it's always I think quite all the modes well. Flying is important ability. Using uh, the draw a card trigger just to do an extra point of damage is something that I was using a lot. You have extra lands in hand after you drew a bunch of cards with Innkeeper, so you don't mind discarding. You usually have a bunch of stupid one ones in play that you don't mind sacrificing. That that is the perfect card for that. It's a very 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 strong addition to it. 
Yeah, and I think uh, I was very impressed with the fine finalities as well. That was a card that I probably wouldn't have considered if I if I tried to put the list together myself. And I think, as as you said, that situation against Golos where you can board clear attack, uh, you know, and, and still end up with the rankle is very important. And also, it's it's a card that gives you a lot of game against the other mid range decks you're going to play against. So it's actually it's it's I think it's very important to have a card that's good in both of those matchups. Uh, Lucas, so you've already submitted your your deck list for the for the Mythic Championship. Have you shared publicly what it is? Would you would you be comfortable doing that? I know I know that there are public deck lists, but you know maybe you still want to keep it keep it close to your chest un- until as late as possible. So if you don't, uh, totally understandable. But if if you do, feel free. Oh, it's fine. Uh, I'm playing a very stock version of Golos. I I did not want to play it because when a dark a deck has a, a target on its back, so much. All people wanting to beat Golos, uh, you know, I usually try to be in a better position than that. Testing just could not find a deck that could reliably beat Golos while having some resemblance of game against the rest of the field. So uh, I made uh, the switch a few hours before the deadline. Um, I had other teammates playing the deck, so I was confident I could have a good list. But I tried extremely hard to, to beat it. Black deck that we talked about, I tried Green White Adventures, which also came close because it can play um, plus Questing Beast, plus it has more aggressive hands than Green-Black. So you, if you have your main deck pre-sided boarded against Golos, you can go toe-to-toe with it. But turns out that the cost against the rest of the metagame was too high, so I could not play that. I tried Gruul, I tried different uh, Jeskai Fires decks, I tried Mono Blue Mill, I tried Blue White Mill, everything. It was a very frustrating dashing process. Uh, because the, the truth is that Golos is, is just, it's a five-color control deck that draws cards and has inevitability once in the sideboard. So, for instance, we would have a strong plan against Golos by having all those different planeswalkers into play, including Sarkhan. Then Golos brings in Planar Cleansing from the sideboard and you lose. Uh, a variety of powerful answers in the sideboard that can make it, can make it sure it beats everything it, it throws at you. And at the same high, at the same time, you just have those nut draws game one that you can overpower anything, even if they're... So if you go turn two, Grove Spiral, turn four, Secretos Wrath, and turn three, Secretos Wrath, and turn four, any of the payoffs in Golos or Hydro Crazes or Wrath or, or, or Agent, it doesn't really matter what your opponent is doing, you, you can beat them. So it's really a combination of things that appreciate with dominating decks in standard that Golos is doing. Access to powerful sideboard cards, uh, access to inevitability in the late game it really does it all it's an extremely powerful deck and i think unless someone breaks the meta game by new and unexpected deck that has a powerful goals matchup while also being good against the rest i think field of the dead is going to get banned on october 21st yeah i think it's a good time to talk about that i i, I totally agree with you on that i think i think one of the mistakes that was made was I mean, Field of the Dead decks were already extremely good before rotation, and then basically all of the answers and ways you could interact with lands and standard rotated out. So it just became completely uncontested. There's really just, as you said, it's just a good control deck, and its sort of main plan, which is just playing lands, you, you don't have any way to to interact with this. You know what I mean? So you don't you don't have your Alpine Moon, your Blood Moon, you don't have Field of Ruin anymore in standard. And these answers aren't already were not that great in the face of Teferi and things like that in terms of the enchantments. But now you don't even have that. So it's just they, they just get to free roll this entire 
planned while also getting to do all this other control deck stuff. Like you said, it doesn't even matter if, like, I had I've had games where my opponent, you know, unmoors my unmoored egos, my field of the deads before I get one down, and I still just on turn four or five play a big crisis and kill them, or, or like you said, just steal a planeswalker with agent of treachery or something like that. There's you really there's really just not there's there's too many things you can do for your opponent to reasonably deal with in in a fair standard deck i think yeah it's it's if field of that i'm oh, sorry sorry you go ahead i was just gonna say if field of the dead does get banned i think standard is going to be very interesting there, there are a lot of cool decks along the way that we discarded that i would be excited to play without without the goalless deck uh, do, do you think that there's any merit to the idea of banning other cards alongside field of the dead like Obviously, Teferi is a card that a lot of people really dislike and puts a lot of limits on standard. And like we see a lot of counterspells are barely playable nowadays. Really, the only counterspell we see anymore is Disdainful Stroke that's brought in against Golos. And you basically just hope that your opponent doesn't have Teferi uh, before you need to use your Disdainful Stroke. And we don't see a lot of other counterspells other than that. Teferi just shuts down whole strategies, right? It shuts down the Simic Flash deck completely. Um... And then another card that I think is extremely strong is Oko. And I think Oko could get absolutely out of control if the Golos deck was, was not there to kind of check it. Like, obviously, week one, we saw the, the Simic midrange and kind of banned midrange decks uh, doing really, really well. I think, you, Lucas, you played one yourself in your Eldraine split, right? Yeah. Um, so I do think Oko is super strong. <laughs> you, you don't think? Really? No, I, I, think, I think it's very strong. Oh, it is. Okay. It, it gets... It gets trumped by what Golos is doing right now, but yeah. other decks is just super, super powerful. Yeah, I was saying last night when I was tuned into Kieran's stream that I genuinely think Oko would be fair if it were printed with one loyalty when it enters the battlefield. That, that's that's what I think would need to happen for Oko to be an, a reasonable card in standard. So I, I think I think it's not impossible that both Teferi and Oko get banned alongside Field of the Dead. And there is kind of precedent for this in terms of previous ban announcements where they said, hey, we're banning this card. And because we know that this other strategy is really super powerful, and basically this strategy is the only thing keeping it in check, we're also banning this card. So I think it was Reflector Mage was banned for that reason. And Rampaging Ferocidon was also banned for that reason. I just, maybe this is a bit cynical, but I just think with Oko, they just, they won't do it just because it's, it's, it's the new uh, kind of face of the set, Mythic Planeswalker. I, I think even if they know it's too good, I think they'll leave it around for a set at least before they look at it for banning. Well, um, yeah, I, I do think Oko is incredibly powerful. If all of its abilities were minus abilities, instead of two of them being plus abilities, one of the reasons weird threats playing against Golos doesn't work is because some versions of Golos can play Oko themselves. Questing Beast does nothing if it's an Elk. Your your Raincoat Brinkmaster doesn't do anything if it's an Elk. So just the fact that a control deck can play that Planeswalker to, to great effect, and a mid-range deck can play it, and an aggro deck wants to play it, just too powerful overall, right? You don't play it for a specific synergy, you just play it because it's an absurd magic card. So I, I can see the merits in, in Oko getting banned, but uh, I kind of do agree that it's going to happen after they sold more Eldrain packs. And how do we how do we all feel in general about the idea of moving the announcement? It was pretty sneaky as well. They they just tweeted out, "Hey, note onto the previous ban announcement. Uh, we're gonna move the next one closer." Do we think it's good that they're being flexible with this, or is this kind of scary because it feels like they could ban anything whenever they want? 
in my very selfish view as a professional player, I think it's a good thing because we're going to have three premier tournaments with the same standard format. Format three times in a row, you know, it's going to kill the, the audience for, for, for those events. Selfishly, I, I think it's a good thing. But I think most players, when, when they hear ban announcements, they just get scared that they're going to lose the value of the very expensive cards they just bought. I used a few back in the days. I, I don't know. I, it's mixed feelings. If you care about the, the format being as good as possible, I think you're happy with those bans. But if you look at more practical aspects of people having to buy cards, then it's, it's a little bit scary. Yeah. It, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think, and I, th- I think, like they don't. There's not that much more info. Obviously, they, like this time around, they got the uh, the MC deck submissions right, as as Alan said. So that was probably a big factor in in deciding to to move the ban announcement forward. But I just think they they need to really think hard about this stuff to try and avoid avoid this in the future. Because I feel like the conversations about the Golos decks were kind of already there, you know, uh, prior to that. And uh, and like you said, Lucas, it, it feels really bad for anyone who waits for the ban announcement because they think the deck is too strong. Then they buy the cards when nothing gets banned. And then, you know, it, tur- it turns out there's a new ban announcement a, a bit later. Like, I feel like doing that too often is, is very bad for people's confidence in the game. Maybe that's less of a factor now because Arena is so strong and, and that's that's such a big part of the product. Maybe, maybe as you said, just having having better streamed Arena tournaments is is as big a factor now as, as people's confidence in paper cards. I don't know. But uh, I, I think it's something they, sh- they just should, should really do their very best to, to avoid as much as possible. But, but I agree that it's better for the format. Yeah, and I really have no idea what the format is going to look like with uh, with field bands. Probably there there be a lot of crazy stuff going on, but uh, it's definitely something interesting and something new to put your mind to. And as you said, Lucas, like I can't believe that there are so many mythic championships in such a short time frame. But that's what we have. So if we were looking at the same Golos format for all for all of them, and you know one one of them is paper, so I mean that is surely. Golos is a concern there for round timers and hundreds and hundreds of zombie tokens and tapping and untapping specific lands every turn so you can leave up your Kenrith activations and what have you. Um, so yeah, I, I think probably for a multitude of reasons, Field of the Dead is probably going to leave the format. Oh, watching Golos in paper was so bad. Uh, I saw all of that SCG Open event and wow, those boards were a mess. It was hard to understand how many zombies each player had. That tapping the mana was awkward. You can see why they would not want that in camera. Yeah. And there, there's also, like, on top of that, there's also elks running around that are that have different card names. And you're like, wait, what is, what's an elk? And what is not an elk here? <laughs> All right. Well, moving on from standard into modern, Kieran, you got a little bit of a tournament report for us? Yeah, so I decided uh, I, had, I had a bit of a, an up and down week with Magic Online this week. So uh, last weekend I logged in on Sunday to find out my account had been compromised and I lost my entire modern collection on Moto. So still waiting to hear back from Wizard support about that. So obviously I was I was not too happy with that. So I was like, screw Magic Online, I'm never playing it again. But uh, then yesterday, uh, because I'm a sucker for punishment, I decided, oh, well, I still have a rental uh, program active so, and I have the points to enter this this modern playoff. I just noticed half an hour before the event or something like that. So I decided, OK, well, I'll just I'll just rent out Tron and join the modern playoffs. And long story short, I won the event, which was a surprise. 
So I'm now qualified for the modern championships on Modo in January, which is a 32 player event for everyone that top aided the the four playoff events. And the winner of that gets entry to the mocks and to a mythic championship. So this is probably my my it's my biggest finish in the magic tournament um ever. And it's my best chance at qualifying for the PT. So I'm gonna be playing a lot of modern, I think, over the next couple of months to try try and do my best in that tournament. But it was pretty grueling. Um, it was, it was, it was, it was announced as there were 424 players in the event. It was announced as being nine rounds. That's what it said on the event tooltip. And when you went to the event webpage in terms of number of Swiss rounds, it said nine. So I took my first loss in round four, uh, and then I was like, okay, can't lose again. It's you know, I, I was basically it was looking like even. A couple of eight ones were not going to top eight because of the number of players. So I was like, okay, really, really can't lose again. Uh, I managed to not lose again. So after round nine, I was eight one. And I thought, yes, okay, locked the top eight now. I was really happy. And then it was something weird happened. So going into the next round, I was like, oh, that's weird. Moto usually cuts off the rest of the players in the in the rank in the standings and just shows the top eight players. But at the moment, it's it's still showing all the players in the tournament. So I was like, that's weird, but it must just be a bug or something. And then I was and then I was currently third seed in the tournament at that point. And I was playing against uh, the person who was fourth seed. And I was like, that's weird because I was on the draw. And I was like, shouldn't I shouldn't I get to choose to play since I'm the higher seed going into the top eight? But again, I just didn't put it together in my brain that this was in fact actually a secret 10th round of Swiss that we had to play that was not announced anywhere. <laughs> so I played my round thinking it was the quarterfinal finals. I actually won quite easily, uh, which was nice because I was I the pressure was already off in my mind. I was like, I already top aided, I already qualified for the championship. This is fine. Uh, so I, I was just kind of chilling at that point. I've been playing Magic for 10 hours, managed to win uh, very easily. Sorry, I was playing Tron, by the way. Sorry, I don't know if I said that earlier. But uh, I then... Uh, I checked Twitter and everybody was losing their minds because pe some people had dropped out of the tournament after nine rounds because they thought they couldn't top eight. My opponent in the quarterfinals, the next round, top eighted because his opponent dropped in round 10 thinking that they were out of contention and they didn't understand why they had to play another round. So, yeah, people were very angry. Uh, and so I, I was a bit frazzled because of that. I was like, wow, I almost could have just dropped out of this top eight without even realizing it if I hadn't played that last game well. Um, but luckily I didn't. And then the the top eight was pretty smooth. I was uh I I I I won all three matches in the top eight pretty easily and yeah took down the whole tournament. So pretty happy. That is congratulations is a big win. That's a, that's that is wonderful news. Great for the parish. <laughs> yeah great for the uh the Irish contingent of of uh, Tron players of which I'm now now glad to call myself a member. But uh, yeah, it was a fun tournament. It was, uh, I was playing Once Upon a Time. It was my first time playing with that card in Tron. So it seems absolutely absurd to me. I had three copies in the deck. And it was just, yeah, casting Ancient Stirrings for free on turn one just fixes so many of your hands. I kept so many hands that I wasn't sure about that had one Tron piece. And then just very easily made turn three Tron because of having a Once Upon a Time. Um yeah, nothing, nothing else really interesting about the deck. Playing more creatures because to support the Once Upon a Times. Um, not playing any Ugans. That was the significant cut. Uh, but yeah, it was just a, it was it was a nice tournament. You know, I I, I only had a couple of nail biters, and it, it really felt like luck and variance was was on my side as as it needs to be to to win ten round Swiss.
Were you playing the version with uh, Thrag Tusk in the main deck? No, I uh, had two Thrag Tusk in the side. Uh, I was actually thinking about this afterwards. I had two Ballista. I, I lifted the list off. Uh, I went through a couple of lists and kind of just uh, on MTG Goldfish and just went with the one that looked the, the nicest to me. So I just had two Thrag Tusk in the main, or sorry, in the sideboard, and two Ballista, three Ulamog in the main, um, which I was kind of thinking was like a little bit too too many Ulamogs, maybe. I, in retrospect, I'm, if I if I played the tournament again, I might register a Thrag Tusk or two in the main over maybe a Ballista and an Ulamog. But it actually worked out very well. I think you, I think you're just more consistent with Once Upon a Time um so you can just be a bit greedier and and just play the slightly greedier payoffs rather than worrying about having the thrag tusk in the main even if i only played against uh burn or aggro twice i played against uh, mono red prowess twice uh and even then I, di I didn't feel worried about it not having the thrag tusk in the main the matchup still felt felt fine and then i had three weather the storm in the sideboard as well which i, I never actually got to cast throughout the whole tournament despite bringing them in several times so still still never cast that card it's cool congrats on the win those things are very hard Cheers, man. Yeah, it was uh, like I said. I've played a lot of long moto tournaments, and this one it just felt just felt like everything was on my side on the day. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy I won, and yeah, hopefully I do well in in that championships in in January. That's that's kind of the next thing now. So this will probably be the most modern that I've I've played uh, in in quite a while. Because for a while I wasn't a big fan of the format after the faithful suiting ban. Now I've been playing a lot, so uh, I I got to figure something out. <laughs> my only loss in the Swiss was to. Uh, Jeskai Ascendancy Paradoxical Outcome deck, which is what I would have played if my if my account hadn't been hacked earlier in the week. So when I lost to that, I was so salty. I was like, that should have been me on this deck winning. But then uh, Karin came back and saved me for the rest of the round, so it turned out fine. Uh, Lucas, have you have you played much modern recently? Do you have many thoughts on the format? I know, again, bringing it back to bans, some people are making some rumblings about Urza potentially being banned. It's possibly too good in the format. I don't know if I would agree with that, but uh do you have any thoughts on modern or or what you see as as the the, the most important or the best decks in modern at the moment i'm not sure uh there was a deck is the, the clear best deck that deserves a plan a ban uh i've tried a little bit of everything just to to keep updated to the format uh i enjoyed the, the amulet titan with once upon a time i do think better so it was interesting to hear the, the report on, on the win here i played a little bit of storm just it or not um, I, I don't think the format needs any bands or anything like that right now. I think it, it's a healthy and, and fun format at the moment. Yeah, I agree with that. Like I've I've played with the um, the Urza decks quite a lot over the last month or so. That's the main decks I, I was playing, and I've played against it a fair bit as well. They do have some absurd draws. Like probably the like they get probably too too many turn turn two and three wins for to be slightly fair <laughs> to for to to be fair enough for modern. Like I did in the in the playoff yesterday i did get killed on turn two and then turn three uh their their turn three was on the draw uh against the jeskai ascendancy deck um so like they do have just some absolutely absurd nut draws but at the same time it's like a deck that it's like you know jund can can beat up on them sometimes you know what i mean just just with a thought season or removal spell the game can just be over so i, I think even if the deck is really strong I think that if fair decks like like Rix's Shadow and Jund and and Blue Light Control can can have a good game against them, then maybe that's okay for Modern. I mean, it's the first deck I think where Mox Amber has been a good card, which is a bit concerning for Modern. That now there's a deck that gets to play eight Moxes because uh, that was never the case before, or, you know, for a long time. So th so that's maybe my only concern about it. But uh, I I don't think it's too oppressive or anything like that. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty excited to try and play that Jeskai Sensei deck because uh, Jeskai Sensei, one of the 
first cards that I was ever super into in Magic, so uh, I would love to be able to take it into Modern and beat some people up with it. Um, looks like a very exciting deck. Uh, I, I also yeah, you get to you get to kill people with a twenty twenty Emery on turn two. It's pretty sweet. Yes, uh, I I also don't think that there are any bans needed. They can definitely let the format lie for a while. And and even if there were a ban needed, maybe Paradoxical Outcome would be the card rather than Urza. Kind of feels like Urza is, is doing like very slow combo things. I know I know it does combo off and, and get infinite life and, and win sometimes. But uh, I think, yeah, letting the format uh, adapt and develop for now is, is definitely better than introducing any any strange bans to the format. I think it would be Mox Opal, honestly. If you really wanted to ban a card from, from that deck, it should be Mox Opal and like... But it just seems like they never want to ban that card ever, so it, it'll just never go. Like the thing is, in the Jeskai Ascendancy deck, Urza in isn't even that that's that strong in the deck. It's good, and it's just a good kind of mid range plan that they have to deal with. But it's not like the Top Tier Sword deck where it, it's what. Obviously, sometimes people are playing Top Tier Sword in these decks and stuff as well. There's kind of a bunch of variations, but I feel like in the Jeskai Ascendancy PO deck specifically, Urza isn't even the scariest thing in the deck. You know what I mean? It's just a it's just a good you know, mid-range value card. Uh, whereas, you know, the, it's it's the Moxes that give you the really broken stuff. Yeah, and as you say, they're never banning that card. <laughs> that and Ancient Stirrings, never being banned. Oh my. <laughs> you okay? Oh, up some books fell off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I've been piling up the, the books in my old, and it, maybe it was too much of an optimistic pile of books. <laughs> I've been there too, yeah. <sighs> Optimistic pilot. At least it wasn't. At least it wasn't magic cards. They take forever to clean up. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be much worse. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's kind of bringing us towards the end of the show here. Uh, I do have an email from a listener with a question for all of us and for Lucas as well. It's a kind of a more lighthearted question than we've been talking about so far. So this uh, message comes in from Eamon. Let me read it out here. Mm. So, he says, Throne of Eldraine has so many flavorful cards, the food tokens alone, but what is your favorite flavorful magic card? So, what's the what's the best flavor magic card? Of course, uh, we'll just get Ginger Brute out of the way, right? <laughs> oh, there goes my answer. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you can go first if you want, Lucas, or, or if I really did steal your answer, then you can have some time to think. Oh, I, just I need to think more. <laughs> you you have yours, Kieran? No, no, I said I just got the flavor joke now. That's very good. Oh. <laughs> what about Al? So yeah, I suppose why it's very something that people don't think of often. I think the reason why I'm saying this, so it's not, I suppose if I had more time to think of the questions, I probably would have had a better answer. But one card that's expected to me at the moment is uh, Rite of Belzenlock. This is a, a saga from uh, a saga from Dominaria. It has, um, you know, the first two modes are, you know, you make the clerics. The third mode uh, makes a demon that if you don't sacrifice the creature, the demon does damage to you. Uh, I feel obviously it's a very straightforward flavor thing, but one thing about this kind of success in my mind is that it's when I, whenever I'm describing magic to people who haven't played magic before, um, it was obviously that's something that I'm sure the four of us have done uh, many times, many situations. Uh, I kind of I've always kind of used different ways to describe it. Sometimes to say, oh, it's kind of like a cross between chess and poker. It's like a strategy game. Uh, all different kind of ways to describe it. Then. I recently found probably the best way to describe it is just to describe five color five colors of magic and what each one does because you know the flavors of each color of magic is, is so um is so uh you know, so unique so um easy to describe easy to describe uh, and I think a card like Rise of Belzoc is the kind of card that 
whenever I describe it, it's kind of, it's kind of go-to, it's my go-to card to describe, you know, what black does in the situation. And usually people kind of straight away realize what the flavor is. You're like, oh my God, it's, you have summoned this demon. And if you don't satisfy the demon, it starts to attack you instead. That's amazing. Uh, so I think it's, it's real kind of, it's a real nice kind of story in a card that uh, is very easy translatable even outside, outside of the game. That's a good choice. I've always liked the, um, like, goblin cards. Like uh, like the goblins that are really bad at their jobs, and they manage to translate that into a gameplay perspective. Like goblin guide, being a being an explorer, being a guide, but he's so bad at it that he gives your opponents lands instead of giving you lands. You know what I mean? Or like uh, not a goblin, but like orcish librarian. Uh, like and the art is where he's like eating the book, and then you know he has this weird ability that messes with your library, but not really in a useful way. So I I think those are kind of my my like favorite flavorful cards. Or there's Goblin, is it Goblin Gardener that destroys land? Um, I've never even seen this one, 7th edition. Yeah, when it dies, destroy target land. Nice, 4 mana, 2-1. It's great. I'm a Goblin Chainwarder, the flavor of um, of, of not making other decks viable. That's, that was nice. <laughs> That's actually one of the worst flavor goblins, because I, I, I always thought Goblin Chainwarder should hit your own stuff as well, because it's a goblin, right? Oh, yeah, yeah I, I'm sure it did at some point in development, it had to, because that's a yeah, such a, such a, a miss, favor wise. Especially because it would trigger Enrage. Yeah. I think uh, mine are probably, I, I, would, I would probably choose two. Mine are also black cards. One that I just really, really liked because it was at the time that I was starting to really get into the magic story and I was super into that kind of stuff was Demonic Pact, which was the, the four mana enchantment that described like Liliana's Pact with the Demons. And each each mode was kind of a a different effect associated with with her her demons. And they all did four things. They were they were they were all like related to four. And uh, and then you lose the game <laughs> when when you have no more choices. <laughs> was pretty sweet. And uh, obviously the 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 combo deck that that came up with that and the the I don't remember the name of the card, but the the red card where you could uh, donate the, the red harmless offering. What was it called? Harmless offering. Yes, that one. Uh, yeah, so that that was that's a sweet one for me. And then the other one, which I just think is fantastic, is Tragic Slip. Like black for minus one, minus one, and then if something's dead, minus thirteen, minus thirteen is just fantastic. I obviously Innistrad block is just amazing for all kinds of flavor. I'd say a runner up for me as well is just probably because this was this was around the the time I I first started playing Magic, like uh, when I was when I was younger. Uh, Emrakul the Aeons Torn. I remember just seeing that it was it was like one of the first mythic rares I would have seen like uh, in the first couple of months of playing Magic, just when when uh, Rise of the Eldrazi came out, and just obviously these creatures were just so big and powerful and immense compared to like anything else that had ever been in Magic before that I'd ever seen before, and just Annihilator as an ability was just so terrifying and really just summoned the flavor of just this giant tentacle monster, you know, flying over your city and just without even any effort, just being able to obliterate everything in its path. I, like, And even though I knew it's like, I'll probably never be able to cast this card, I still just thought it was it was amazingly immense, flavor-wise. Two ones that I like is Form of the Dragon. You literally become the dragon. And stand still, because the to match the name, right? Everybody just stop playing cards. Yeah, those are good ones. Man, Standstill is a card. That's probably a card I wish they had never printed. <laughs> it's like one of, one of the least fun cards of all time. But yeah, that's a that's good flavor. Yeah, those those are a great match of mechanics and flavor. And actually another another kind of group of cards that has just come to me that I remember really loving when they came out was the Magic Origins Flip Walkers. Just the idea of starting with a creature 
like a child version of your big planeswalker and then through gaining experience and using their skills they 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 spark and they become a planeswalker and they flip over that was really cool to me at the at the time again i was just fairly new to magic at that time so those would be favorites in my mind as well okay well uh that i think is gonna do it for our show today that has been episode number 100 uh lucas thank you very much for coming on and talking with us do you have anything that you would like to plug before you go thank you so much for having me congratulations on the the amazing runs you, you guys are doing uh very very happy to be here and i wish you all the success in the world nice thank you um wh- where can people find you like on twitter or twitch i think twitter is the the best place to to find me i i link all my articles there uh just put Lucas Asperberto on Twitter and you get my handle. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll stick your, your Twitter link into the show notes for today as well. So people listening. Great, thanks. <laughs> they, they can click it straight from there. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on, Lucas. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's great kind of to bring everything full circle from, uh, you know, from Pro Tour A3 Revolt when you know, we're in a time this podcast started to the 100 episode where we have you on here. It's, uh, it's been a great journey. Uh, thanks for coming on. All right. So that is going to do it for us today. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us, skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, at skullcrack on Twitter. And uh, crack in both situations is spelled C-R-A-I-C. And you can also uh, tune into our Twitch stream, which is manned mostly by Kieran, uh, heroically playing through those modern playoffs and modern challenges. And that is uh, twitch.tv forward slash skullcrack as well. So that is going to do it for us this week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. sweet um so lucas uh, after we kind of say goodbye and we do our <laughs> outro there's uh alan does like usually some kind of strange little segment uh he does like a different thing every time and sometimes he does a huh? show type thing so al do you have a game show yeah i have, I have a quiz a short quiz um yeah for, for the trees okay so I, I i don't know if you need to go or anything lucas or if you can hang around for a few more minutes Oh, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I think I have I have a good one this time. This is this is this is going to be great. Okay. I've been looking forward to this. All right. Usually we would have our segment Lion versus Wolf, where Kieran the Lion faces off against David the Wolf. Uh, but now Lion and the Wolf will face off again. Except this time they're going to be joined by by a person, <laughs> a person named Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the welcome to the segment of the show, Lucas, where uh, we do we do some nonsense. Uh, this is so. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a, a quiz for the three years per day. You get three questions each, um, and then the winner. Ooh, I need to find a pen and paper. Hopefully, here is an envelope I will draw, on, um, and usually the winner the winner wins. So I wrote your names down in what I thought were alphabetical order. Well, it's the order is Kieran Lucas Wolf. Uh, so it's not very fair for Wolf, but that's just the way we'll have to we'll have to keep it. Uh, so yeah, one point for each question, right? Uh, usually. I do like a, if someone doesn't know the answer, you can pass it on to the other person. But I guess with three with, with, with three contestants, that won't really work. So 
uh, if someone doesn't know the answer, someone else can feel free to shout out the answer, uh, just for the sake of, you know, just because it's, it's fun to get things right. All right, so the theme of this quiz is banned cards, because we have been talking about banned cards. So this is very, very straightforward. I'm just going to read out uh, just just the text of a card has been banned. You need to tell me the name of the card and the form and, and the name of the card and where it ha- where it has been banned. Oh, um, I like it. So very, very straightforward. Uh, so we've three tiers. Uh, the first tier is uncommon. Then we go. Then we move on to rare. And then we move on to mythic. Um, so uncommon is going to be very, very straightforward. Uh, the first three are going to be insultingly easy. So hopefully we'll get off to a good start. So are we ready? Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. This first one. This first one is for Kieran. Look at target player's hand. Draw a card. That's good old peak. It's <laughs> good taxi and pro, but I believe that's the text. Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Uh, you can guess the format it's banned in, but if it's banned in many formats, it's fine. Uh, it. I know it's banned in Legacy, Modern, and Popper. Yes. Yeah. Maybe more. Okay. <laughs> there are a lot of formats. All right. Very good. So one for here on. That was nice and easy. All right. You got another. All right. Nice and easy one here for Lucas now. Lucas, when card name enters the battlefield. You may exile another target permanent you control, then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. Oh, I don't know that one. All right, does that, anybody else have to guess? Mm. Uh, I know what it is. Do you? I don't know. Yeah, it's a uh, fellow Dark Guardian. That is correct. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, good one. It's actually, yeah, I feel, I feel like it actually is harder when you don't know the size of the creature or the quarter of the, quarter of the card or the mana cost. Uh, yeah, true. I, I was worried this would be too easy, but um, I think this actually does make it quite hard. And... Oh boy, just in time for Wolf, it's going to get more difficult. Nah. Uh, we know we're still on the uncommoned here. Um, Feather Guardian obviously banned in standard uh, before it rotated. Um, all right, <laughs> I almost just read out the card here. All right, Wolf, this is a long one, right? We've got a green tap. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a basic land card. Put that card into your hand and all other cards reveal this way into your graveyard. Uh, green tap. Is this like a really old card that I won't know? <laughs> Actually, is yes. Okay. Uh, well, I know. I know this one as well. Do you know this one? Uh, oh, I know this one. Yeah, yeah, cool. You should have should have swapped those around. I'll oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a commander staple. Yeah, I have no idea. And anyway, else, else I have to guess here on Lucas. It's Hermit Druid, right? Yes, that is correct. Uh, it's banned. Banned in extended. <laughs> banned in extended. Yeah, I think I think it's also still banned in Legacy. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, ban, ban, currently banned. Like, yeah, probably just be a banned, banned and extended as well uh, back in the day. So, um, so far, Kieran is in the lead. Okay, my, yeah, all right, we're now moving on to, uh, on, even though those are quite hard, we're now moving on to rare. Well, even though these are not necessarily rare cards, these are more difficult. All right, back up to Kieran. All right, we have some reminder text and then an ability. So, card name, I'm just saying card name instead of the actual card name. All right, card name isn't a spell. Tap to add red to your mana pool. Um. Oh, it's a uh, uh, great furnace. Yeah, that is correct. That's well done. Nice, and it's great banned in modern. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. On to Lucas. This is hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you, if you thought that was hard, this, this one is this one is also very difficult. All right. Um. <laughs> this is this has my favorite line uh, in 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 a magic card. Starting off, okay. So it's if opponent doesn't concede the game immediately. Each player must, must ante another card, another an additional card from the top of his or her library. Remove this card from your deck before playing if you're not playing for ante. And that's all it does? Yeah. Yeah, your <laughs> opponent has to concede or ante another card. I don't know what this one's called. Uh, uh, do you know it's Lucas? a bird. Oh, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I think it's actually, there's actually another card that's an anti-card that's a bird. I, can't, I don't know that one. But this one is a <laughs> demonic 
demonic attorney. I knew it was demonic something. Uh, yeah. Down there. yeah, it's very goofy <laughs> art. It's a pan, panned and vintage. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's always a nice one. All right. Um, so uh, now, Wolf, this is for you. All right, this, this is a this is a wonderful card. Uh, so it has an ability uh, X mana and tap. Search your library for a rebel card with converted mana cost X or less. I'll put the card into play. Then shuffle your library. Uh, another activated ability three. Put target rebel card from your graveyard onto the bottom of your library. Uh, I I have heard of this card, but I absolutely have no idea what the name is. Something not no not not hero of blade hold. That's a mirroring card, right? Um, I don't know. Oh, yeah. In CV. In CV, that is correct. <laughs> Do all format this is abandoned? Mekadin masks block. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I got Lucas <laughs> the meme question right. That is that, that, that's impressive. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Mercadian's block uh, constructed. It was banned. Uh, some people call this card the real LSV. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so uh, the score is currently Kiron 2, uh, Lucas 1, and the Wolf 0. So uh, it's not, not looking good for the Wolf. But don't worry, we have one more round. This is Mythic Rare. Now, this is where things get very, very difficult. Okay, first one for Kiron. Very straightforward. Draw two cards. Um, draw two cards. Gush. Uh, I. Yeah, actually, I wasn't thinking Gush, but I think if no, if it was Gush, I would have read out the additional text. Oh, okay, yeah, you know right. I mean? yeah. So it's, it's a text is literally just the two words, draw two cards. No, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Anybody else like to guess? Oh, pot of greed. It is pot of greed. Yes, <laughs> <The format is laughs> For that fuck's sake. God damn it! Uh, <laughs> I don't know Yu-Gi-Oh vintage. I don't know. I, I think I don't know how formats work in Yu-Gi-Oh, but this is uh, it's forbidden. They have a it's instead of banned and restricted, it's uh, forbidden and limited. Uh, yes, pot of greed is. Uh, Forbidden in Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh, okay, well, I, did, I didn't get that one. I guess, I guess wrong first, so I didn't get that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, uh, on to Lucas. Once during your turn, before you attack, if this if this Pokemon is your active Pokemon, and if there are 66 or more damage counters on your benched Pokemon, you may use, use this ability, and if you do, you win the game. And as active, active ability, uh, one psychic energy for hidden power. Is this Pikachu? No, no, it's not Pikachu. Anybody else? Go guess. Go guess. Anybody else like to guess? Is it Mew? No, no. This is a uh, unknown. Is the name of Pokemon? Mm. Um, apparently, this is like a preemptive band. It was like it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't really comboing or anything, but it had a potential. It seems like I, I don't know how the game works. It seems like an incredibly busted magic card, or incredibly <laughs> busted Pokemon card. Uh, if if there is some kind of combo that you know, maybe makes you win the game that quickly, but. I guess considering you're allowed to play like free Wheel of Fortunes in that game, a card has to be pretty busted to get banned, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, all right, David Wolf, we'll say because we like to mix things up. David Wolf, if you guess this last card, you will win. All right. Because you're so far behind. Are you happy with that? All right. Very. <laughs> I'm going to read out the text, the text on the card Sandisk Extreme Pro 64 gigabytes B30. <laughs> Hold on. How is this uh, an SD card? It also has. Uh, that is correct. It is an SD card. Um, <laughs> and you know where it's banned? It's banned in China. <laughs> that is close, but I'll give it to you. Yes, it is banned. Uh, it is the SD Association has banned the use of micro SD cards uh, in Huawei, Huawei devices. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, the third banned card. So David Wolf, he, he was losing, but because he saw through the nonsense. David Wolf has won uh, this edition of, of Lion versus Wolf versus Man. <laughs> oh, Congratulations, David. Congratulations. <laughs> I can't argue with that. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, I'll, I'll leave it for now. Thanks. Uh, thank you for being along. Uh, I hope uh, everybody at home uh, had fun playing along and losing. <laughs> GG opponents. GG. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Hey, goodbye. It was a delight. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Bye, too.